Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here today. I want to thank Pastor Zach, our worship team, for leading us to the very throne of grace. Amen. Worship and song. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the guys in the sound booth that handle the lyrics, the, the sound. Thank you. Those that, yeah, I think it's worthy of, of note from the greeters, those who prepare the Lord's table each day. We, we truly are blessed here at this church. Jeremy, I know you're not working today, but I appreciate you so much. I, I, we're just, are we not of all people to be blessed? <laughs> So we've worshiped in song together. Now let's worship in the Word, shall we? So I have a question for you this morning. I'd like to see a, see a show of hands. How many of you parents remember when your first child was born? Can I see your hands? Yeah, it's an unforgettable experience, is it not? Whenever you welcome that first little one into your home, I remember when that occurred for my wife, Becky, and I. There weren't a whole lot of books in those days on how to, do, how to deal with a newborn. <laughs> how to care for a newborn. But at first, we had lots of help. When she was in the hospital, we had an excellent doctor, a pediatrician, who was a wonderful guy. The nurses were amazing. My mom came over. Incredible help. She loved my wife like her daughter. We had friends who had children who gave us advice, tried to show us what to do, and they helped us out. But there came a day when the hospital discharged Becky and our new baby girl, and they came home. And then it was just us and that little baby girl. I don't know how you felt at that moment, but I felt like, what in the world am I supposed to do? Where's the instruction manual? <laughs> Where's the blueprint? Our daughter Rachel, she was a particularly little fussy thing. And every time she fussed, our response was to feed her. So when we took her for her first pediatric appointment, the doctor, who was a great guy, as I said, he, he just was very blunt. He said, hey, this baby is fat. <laughs> You've got to stop feeding her. Just because she fusses, that's not a reason to, to pour milk into her. And, and you know, the, the truth is, the truth is, none of us come to the world knowing how to be a good parent. None of us know how to build a healthy marriage initially. None of us know how to build a healthy home or a healthy, thriving church. We need to be taught. We're taught by the example, Lord willing, of those who love us, of family members, of parents, pastors, teachers in the church. But we're also taught from the Word of God. And so today, as we finish this legacy sermon series, as we wrap it up, I want to read five verses from the book of Colossians chapter 3. And I want us to identify five principles that we see in these verses that will point us towards what the title of the message is today, and that's building a legacy in your family and in the family of faith. 
I'd like you to stand with me if you're able in honor of reading God's Word. I'm not going to have the Scriptures today on the screen. I really got some good advice from our team today, particularly our, from Jess. And, and really, it's important. There, there's nothing inherently wrong with putting a Scripture on the screen. But what I want you to do today, what I want us to do, is I want us to read the Word of God. Look at it, whether you have your Bible and paper or something that glows in the dark. And as you read it, let it soak into your soul. Listen, this is a God-breathed document. It's the only work of literature ever been written that's alive. And so it will cut between our soul and our spirit today. It will pour into us and bring about change. So let's read it together, shall we? Beginning in verse 12, uh, verse 3 of the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. So if you're a note taker, here's the very first principle that's found in your notes today. It's found in the very first part of verse 12. Paul is saying to those Colossian believers and echoing through the ages to us today in Hutto, Texas, he's saying, build your life. Build your marriage. Build your family. Build your church on the foundation of of your identity in Christ. Build on the foundation of your identity in Christ. Look at it with me. You'll see it in verse 12, the first part of verse 12. Paul's saying, put on then. And he then he describes, the Apostle Paul describes to these believers in the church at Colossae, he describes them as this, God's chosen ones. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In other words, he's saying, I want you to know who you are in Christ. That's your primary identifier. Everything else in your life will flow out of your identity in Christ. Who you are in Him. You're chosen. You're holy. You're beloved. It's really important to have a good sense of who you are. In fact, who you are, the question of identity is more important than what you do. What your job is, what your task is, what your specific assignment may be. 
And maybe you've had someone speak words to you in your past or speak about you in a negative way. And that person's words have had a profound effect on who you believe you are, your identity. Maybe decisions that you've made or actions of others have shaped what you believe to be true about you. But listen, beloved, when I read the words of Scripture today, guess what God is saying? He looks to everyone who is in Christ and He says, listen, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're chosen, that you are holy, and that you are dearly loved. It doesn't matter what anybody else has said about you. It doesn't matter the words that have been spoken into your life or the actions that have come against you. When God says, I chose you and you are holy because of Jesus and you are dearly loved in my sight, it changes everything. Do you have a sense of who you are today? We don't do this often, but I want to ask you to do something with me this morning. And if you're in Christ, I'd like you to repeat after me these words because they're so important. I, my prayer is that they become Im, implanted in your soul, that they become seared in your conscience because they're true. If you're in Christ, would you repeat after me? I am chosen. In Christ, I am holy. I am dearly loved. Well, some of you may be saying right now, well, pastor, I don't feel holy some days. <laughs> and the truth is, some days we fall short of that standard, do we not? But the gospel of Jesus is this. His holiness has been credited to our account. His righteousness has been imputed to us, I used to think if I could spell that word, I'd be really good. But it, what it means is that the righteousness of Christ, if we're in Christ, is now upon you. It, it, it belongs to you. And so because of that, it's indisputable that in Christ, you and I are holy. Well, you may say, well, look, I thought I chose. Christ. And the Bible says you did. You repented and you believed. But listen, beloved, before the foundation of the world was laid, He chose you. And ever since the cross, there's no question that you are dearly loved. There's no question that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen to that with me this morning? And this truth, this principle about our identity in Christ provides the foundation for everything else. So guess what, moms and dads, grandparents, 
leaders, church leaders, fellow members. We ought to be speaking words like this into the lives of our children, into the lives of our spouses, into the lives of our fellow believers and fellow members of our church, followers of Christ. We ought to be saying this, God has made you in His image. You're a person of value and worth. He's got a plan for your life. And in Christ, you will be chosen. You are chosen and holy and dearly loved. You speak these words into them, and it changes the entirety of their lives. Here's the second principle. It's found in the last part of verse 12 and then verse 13. Paul says to these believers, since you are chosen, since in Christ you are holy and you are dearly loved, put on then, he says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, imagine that. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. The Apostle Paul is using the words of a wardrobe here. He's saying, there's some things that I want you to put off. And I want you to put on some new things. So here's the second principle. Dress yourself every day with the attitude and character of Christ. All of us get up in the morning, do we not? We go to our closet, we go to our chest of drawers. If you're like me in college, you go to the stuff you've got piled on the floor. (laughs) And you decide what you're going to wear. And we put it on. And the Bible is saying this. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He said, look, dress yourself every day, not with some old things. And if we were to go back in this chapter earlier, he mentions some of those things. He says, look, impurity and rage, and malice, and anger, and bitterness, and falsehood, untruthfulness. Those things are like old clothes. Throw those out and put on some new things. New clothes that are not easily stripped away. Compassion. How many times do we see in Scripture that Christ had compassion on on people? How many times? All the time, right? Compassion. Put on a compassionate heart. Put on kindness. Humility. Listen, humility is winsome in any kind of a leader, but beloved, it's essential in the life of a Christ follower. Put on meekness. Sometimes in our context and culture, we equate that with weakness. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It's power held in reserve for the benefit of others. Meekness. Patience, forgiveness, just as the Lord forgave you. I don't know about some of you men, 
some of you other husbands in the room, but through the years, and, and Becky and I, my wife, we've been married 50 years, and I've discovered that it's a good thing if we're going somewhere or if I'm getting dressed for church Sunday morning, actually it happened this morning, that I will take out what I plan to wear that day, and I say, um, hey, what do you think about this? You think this is good? And I've learned certain look, or she might say this, are you thinking about wearing that? And uh, the answer is not yes. <laughs> Here's my response. No, no, I just wanted to show you, you know, just. <laughs> Here's my follow up. And this is the most important thing. What do you think I should wear? Right. We all need to learn to put on what is appropriate, do we not? And Paul says, look. Beloved church at Colossae, and through the ages it echoes to us today. Beloved church at Hutto, you are chosen. You are holy. You are dearly loved. You're my child. And so I want you to dress like my child. I want you to put on the attitudes and the character that actually reflects who you are in me. Here's the third principle. Choose love. Above all, choose love. Look at it with me in verse 14. He says, above all these, above all that compassion and kindness and humility and patience, meekness, forgiveness, I want you to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In other words, he's saying love is the glue that's going to hold everything else together. Love is the string in which the pearls of the character of Christ adorn your life. Love is the frame within which all of the other pieces of Christ-like character of the Christ clothing, if you will, will fit appropriately. So listen, in your marriage, in your home, and in our church, choose love above all else. Do you remember what Jesus said about how His disciples were to be known? He said they'll be known because they love one another. Here's the fourth principle. It comes from verse 15. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire. Are you familiar with that word umpire? You've ever watched a baseball or a softball game the umpire is the guy usually dressed in black. He stands right behind the catcher, right behind the home plate. He's the one that can't see very well, right? He's the one we boo when he makes a bad call. I have a dear friend who was an umpire, a baseball umpire in the Big 12 Conference, and 
It always amazed him that a coach in the dugout could see the ball and strike better than he could. (laughs) We all have a better view from our seat, right? You may say, well, Pastor, I don't see that word umpire anywhere in verse 15. Well, look at it with me. He says, let the peace of Christ rule. And by the way, if you have a paper Bible or you can do it electronically, circle that word rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Because that word rule means this. It means let the peace of Christ do what an umpire would do in your hearts. So what does an umpire do? The umpire is the decider, is he not? Whenever the pitcher pitches the ball, the umpire is going to say one of two things. What's he going to say, Rob? Or ball, right? One of the two things. It doesn't matter how much you argue with him. (laughs) That's the call. If a ball hits near the foul line, the home plate umpire is going to be the one that decides Is it fair or foul? I'm not talking about replay. Let's don't get technical here, right? (laughs) If there's a close play at the plate, the umpire is the one that says you're safe or you're out. You get the idea? The umpire is the decider. He's got the final say. Church, I want you to watch this. It's so beautiful. Watch this. The scripture says, let the peace of Christ. In other words, that sense of peace and harmony and unity that Jesus brings to a situation. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire. In your hearts. And in your relationships. So let's say you're contemplating bringing up a subject or a topic with your spouse. Or maybe your fingers are poised above the keyboard getting ready to post something on social media. Or maybe you're getting ready to have a conversation with your children or another person in your church. You ought to run it by the umpire. And your question is this, is what I'm getting ready to do, is it fair or foul? Is this going to produce peace and harmony and unity? Or is what I'm getting ready to say or write bring division and strife and cause dissension? The Scripture calls us to let the peace of Christ be the umpire, and rule and reign. Some of you may be saying at this part, well, pastor, are you saying that you ought to have peace at any price? Are you saying there's never a time or place where you offer constructive criticism? Are you saying there's never a time or place where you ruffle some feathers? Are you saying there's never a time or place where you rock the boat? Are you saying there's never a time or place where you challenge someone to do better? No. I'm not saying that. 
In fact, the Bible says in order to reach maturity, sometimes we have to speak the truth in love. Do we not? But just as the daily principle that we live by, the thing that ought to govern, the thing that ought to decide, the thing that ought to be the umpire is the peace of Christ. Do our actions, do our words, do they promote peace? Do they promote harmony? Do they promote unity in our marriages, in our homes, and in our families, and in the church family? Here's the last principle. Let the Word of Christ have an abundant, abundant presence and influence in your heart, your home, and church. Beloved, I want you to look at this with me. It's so beautiful. It's so vivid. Look at verse, the first part of verse 16. Apostle Paul says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, let the word of Christ dwell in you meagerly. He doesn't say, let the word of Christ dwell in you occasionally. He doesn't say, let the word of Christ dwell in you temporarily or moderately. No, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in your marriage, in your home, and in the church. Let the Word of Christ find a home there, dwell there abundantly, richly. Let it saturate every part of your heart, your home, your church. When it does that, there's three things that will happen. Let's look at it together. It's in the last part of verse 16. Paul says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the first thing, we will use the word to instruct. To instruct, to teach one another. Pastor Trey spoke about this in the announcements. Listen, this is his heartbeat. We have men and women's Bible studies starting in a few weeks. It's based, they're studying the book of Philippians. We have re-engage, which is word-based, a marriage tool for you. Everything we do here is based on the Word of Christ. Everything. That's the driver. We will use the Word to warn. Secondly, the Bible says we admonish one another. And then the last thing, the Bible says make sure the Word of Christ fills your songs. Make sure the songs that run through your soul are the soundtrack of the soundtrack of your life. Make sure they're filled with the truth of Scripture. I have to say, in the interest of full disclosure, that some of the songs that come into my mind occasionally are not filled with the truth of Scripture. Would that be true of anybody else in here today besides me? Just yesterday morning, this lyric kept running through my mind. My Maserati does 185. I lost my license 
Now I don't drive. I got a bigger laugh at the nine o'clock. Are you guys awake? We're awake. And I'll think like, and that lyric, you know, got stuck in my mind yesterday. Have you ever had that happen to you? Or just, and it was all day. You know, it was just right there. Life's been good to me so far, right? <laughs> but you know, I don't think Joe Walsh, his lyrics, "Life's been good," are what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote this. You see. Music gets stuck in your heart without permission. Music gets stuck in your heart without permission. So make sure that the music that's in your heart, right, is going to enrich you. I have a rich musical legacy in my life, not of talent, but from my mom who could play anything by ear and from an early age, she didn't force it on me. She played hymns and spiritual songs. And I can still recall many of those hymns. Thank you today for one of the hymns that we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Those lyrics pop into my mind. They're in my, they're stuck in my soul. They're filled with the truth of Scripture. Now I'm not saying every song we need to sing needs to be a Scripture song, but I am saying this. And I'm encouraging us to do this. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs over yourself, over your spouse, over your children, over your family, over your church. Sing those songs that will demonstrate our thankfulness to God. Speak the name of Christ over each other. As we build a legacy in our hearts, in our homes, and in our church. You see, rich legacy is not meant just to be left behind. A rich legacy is meant to be lived. Let us pray. Father, I thank You today for Your timeless Word, for the impact and the power of the Word of God. My prayer today is that everyone within the sound of my voice, that their souls would be pierced by your word. I pray that we would learn to put on the garments that reflect the character of Christ in our lives. Compassion, gentleness, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness thankfulness. I pray today that simply this, that your plans and your purposes for the men and women, young adults in this room be done on earth as they are in heaven. I pray these things in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen.